This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of What's Expected of Us by Ted Chang. It's read by Dominic Hoffman and Ted Chiang. It can be found in Exhalation Stories from Penguin Random House Audio. It runs six minutes, and we will be discussing it and Exhalation Stories afterwards. What's Expected of Us This is a warning. Please read carefully. By now, you've probably seen a predictor. Millions of them have been sold by the time you're reading this. For those who haven't seen one, it's a small device like a remote for opening your car door. Its only features are a button and a big green LED. The light flashes if you press the button. Specifically, the light flashes one second before you press the button. Most people say that when they first try it, it feels like they're playing a strange game, one where the goal is to press the button after seeing the flash, and it's easy to play. But when you try to break the rules, you find that you can't. If you try to press the button without having seen a flash, the flash immediately appears, and no matter how fast you move, you never push the button until a second has elapsed. If you wait for the flash, intending to keep from pressing the button afterward, the flash never appears. No matter what you do, the light always precedes the button press. There's no way to fool a predictor. The heart of each predictor is a circuit with a negative time delay. It sends a signal back in time. The full implications of the technology will become apparent later, when negative delays of greater than one second are achieved. But that's not what this warning is about. The immediate problem is that predictors demonstrate that there's no such thing as free will. There have always been arguments showing that free will is an illusion, some based on hard physics, others based on pure logic. Most people agree these arguments are irrefutable. But no one ever really accepts the conclusion. The experience of having free will is too powerful for an argument to overrule. What it takes is a demonstration, and that's what a predictor provides. Typically, a person plays with a predictor compulsively for several days, showing it to friends, trying various schemes to outwit the device. The person may appear to lose interest in it, but no one can forget what it means. Over the following weeks, the implications of an immutable future sink in. Some people, realizing that their choices don't matter, refuse to make any choices at all. Like a legion of Bartleby the Scriveners, they no longer engage in spontaneous action. Eventually, a third of those who play with the predictor must be hospitalized because they won't feed themselves. The end state is akinetic mutism, a kind of waking coma. They'll track motion with their eyes and change position occasionally, but nothing more. The ability to move remains, but the motivation is gone. Before people started playing with predictors, akinetic mutism was very rare, a result of damage to the anterior cingulate region of the brain. Now it spreads like a cognitive plague. People used to speculate about a thought that destroys the thinker, some unspeakable Lovecraftian horror, or a girdle sentence that crashes the human logical system. It turns out that the disabling thought is one that we've all encountered, the idea that free will doesn't exist. It just wasn't harmful until you believed it. Doctors try arguing with the patients while they still respond to conversation. We had all been living happy, active lives before, they reason, 
and we hadn't had free will then either. Why should anything change? No action you took last month was any more freely chosen than one you take today, a doctor might say. You can still behave that way now. The patients invariably respond, but now I know. And some of them never say anything again. Some will argue that the fact the predictor causes this change in behavior means that we do have free will. An automaton can't become discouraged, only a free-thinking entity can. The fact that some individuals descend into akinetic mutism while others don't just highlights the importance of making a choice. Unfortunately, such reasoning is faulty. Every form of behavior is compatible with determinism. One dynamic system may fall into a basin of attraction and wind up at a fixed point, while another exhibits chaotic behavior indefinitely, but both are completely deterministic. I'm transmitting this warning to you from just over a year in your future. It's the first lengthy message received when circuits with negative delays in the megasecond range are used to build communication devices. Other messages will follow, addressing other issues. My message to you is this. Pretend that you have free will. It's essential that you behave as if your decisions matter, even though you know they don't. The reality isn't important. What's important is your belief, and believing the lie is the only way to avoid a waking coma. Civilization now depends on self-deception. Perhaps it always has. And yet I know that because free will is an illusion, it's all predetermined who will descend into akinetic mutism and who won't. There's nothing anyone can do about it. You can't choose the effect the predictor has on you. Some of you will succumb and some of you won't. And my sending this warning won't alter those proportions. So why did I do it? Because I had no choice. Author's Note There's a sketch by Monty Python about a joke that's so funny that anyone who hears or reads it dies laughing. It's an example of an old trope that has acquired the name the motif of harmful sensation. It's the idea that you could die simply by hearing or seeing something, or, depending on the version, by understanding something. In the Monty Python sketch, English speakers could safely recite the German version of the joke as long as they didn't understand what they were saying. Most versions of this trope involve some element of the supernatural. For example, horror fiction often features cursed books that drive people mad. I was wondering if a non-supernatural version of this might be possible, and it occurred to me that a truly convincing argument that life was pointless might qualify. It's not something that would work instantaneously. The argument would take time to fully sink in, but that just means it would spread further as people repeated it to others while they mulled it over. The safeguard against this, of course, is that even an airtight argument won't convince everyone who hears it. Arguments are simply too abstract to sway most people. A physical demonstration, on the other hand, would be much more effective. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Wayne. Hello, I'm Terrence. And we're going to talk about exhalation stories, not exhalation and other stories. But Exhalation Stories by Ted Chang, a collection of his only, it's his second book, his second collection. Apparently it took 17 years for the second book to come out. <laughs> I was thinking, I think that means 
I might have one more Ted Chang book before I die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first book uh, has some themes. This this book, I noticed children are a lot more uh, prevalent in this one. Uh, you know, Merchant and Al- Alchemist Gate has, uh, that's I think probably one of the earliest ones in here in terms of when it was written. Um, but it has a little bit about children and Exhalation doesn't, the title story doesn't have a lot about children. Although I think you could squint hard and see some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, I think the rest of them, well, maybe not all the rest of them. A lot of them have a f- sort of a focus on children. Uh, I, I didn't find that to be the focus. Well, I was just thinking, thought- like, what, what, why are these the way they are? And I certainly see that in at least two or three of them as, like, it's like, wow, he had some kids. Because <laughs> that's what he was doing in, in between those uh, 17 years. Is having kids is my thinking. Hmm. I, I know I know nothing about his actual life, other than you know he's a uh, technical writer or something. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if he's married or he has any kids. But I just uh, assume that that's what's going on. Uh, you guys didn't notice that as a, a sort of a theme. Mm, not really. I mean, when you say it, I can see that there's kids, but that not really. No. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't read about, all the stories, It was about. So. It was. I, I did see like teaching and and growing as themes and yeah. influence of of parenting, uh, uh, but not particularly children. So anxiety is the diz- dizziness of freedom. I I would say is more about. Uh, it's 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 a science fiction story with mimetic fiction problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as in the problems that people in that world live with are mimetic problems, uh, problems that uh, we see in you know regular books. That's my feeling, anyways. Um, whereas Daisy's patent automatic nanny is all about child rearing. Uh, yeah. Life cycle subject uh, software objects is all about child rearing, and then I think it comes up as sort of elsewhere in some of the other ones. Life, and, and I'm just going by length. So I started uh, listening to this. I wanted to make sure I had enough time, so I listened to the longest ones first rather than... In order? <laughs> yeah, not uh, the order of the book because it's an audio book and I'm putting it together and I thought, i got to make sure I get all this done because it's an 11-hour book. 60-hour uh, book, I can't have. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess that's not... Not the major theme. Everybody else came away with thinking that that's that's what's going on in Ted Chang's thought process or background thought processes. Um, but there's certainly lots of other themes that are repeating, including I guess fate and destiny, which mm-hmm. I think was also yeah. in his previous collection. As I a, think that's a, yeah, I think that's an abiding theme of his mm-hmm. all, a lot of the stories. Yeah, Definitely. I I thought care and caring, caring for. Caring about things, mm-hmm. uh, caring for others, taking care of others, taking care of yourself, despite uh, um, the determinism of the world. Absolutely. Of the said care. Mm-hmm. I, I found another theme of, of like ex- exploring uh, rather close to home or, or finding truths closer mm-hmm. to home than looking farther away. That's certainly there in the great silence, right? Mm-hmm. The, this idea that there's you don't have to look to the stars to find other life. There is that life here, and we're squandering it. 
And in exaltation, it's the same thing, right? This finding out this greater truth about the universe by by dissecting one's own brain, yeah. right? And and well, that's the right? that's the most straight up science. Well, I guess it's not straight up science fiction. None of them are really straight up science fiction in in a certain sense because yeah, he he doesn't think he he's probably in agreement with Kim Stanley Robinson saying. All these dreams that you science fiction people have of visiting other stars, you fools! You're wasting your life. Why are you don't get me about started on that? Okay. Well, it, I, I could ra- I could rant a, rant about Kim Stanley Robinson's Aurora, but, but that's not the subject. But of this look podcast. at what look at what Ted Chang's written. Right? Uh, how many of the stories are are set on spaceships? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, yeah. I thought it was about making sense of. Of, rea- of reality Absolutely. and your perception of it. And, Absolutely. And, and sometimes know. finding a reality is not what you think or hope or want. I mean, and, yeah. think, of, think of, of follows and we find out that yeah, the Earth is a, is basically a test subject for another star. Why don't, that, we, uh, why don't we, we start with that one, Paul? Okay. I, I, I don't know why, but it, it, it's sort it's, of it's a, a... It's sort it's of... A, I want to say it stands out, but... They're all standouts, it, but it stands yeah. out in, a, in in in. I guess it sort of fits with exhalation, right? It's not it our does. universe. It's it's not a universe. It's a it's strictly and explicitly creationist universe where where science science and the church are intertwined, and the main the main character finds a dread finds a dread discovery that. Apparently, the center of the universe is not the Earth. It's apparently this other star, and it seems it, all, all the astronomical data seems to suggest that that's the "quote unquote" real world, and the Earth is, in the end, basically just a a prototype for someone else. And what does that say about God's relationship with Earth? The the character's relationship with faith. I mean, she's. I mean, she's. Doing this in an epistolary manner, basically talking about she's saying Lord over and over again. She's this is almost like a crisis of faith for her. This entire story is she's trying to work out. Totally, is a crisis of faith yeah. for her. Why, why she's why she's trying to work this all out in her own head, and that's basically the story. Her trying to work out the implications of that she's basically cast out. It re- reminds me of I can't remember the name of the Paul Anderson story. But there's a Paul Anderson story. I know Jesse, you have a mixed relationship with Paul Anderson. We've tried we've tried his work on the podcast. But he has a short story where Earth meets aliens and the aliens are holding a secret and it t- turns out the aliens hold the secret that, that there's life after death. And the devastating end is that, oh yeah, there's life after death for us, but not for you. Mm. And that's the that's mm-hmm. the thing at the end of the story. But this story is kinda of like the entire winding out of the whole idea that we're not God's chosen after all, and what does that mean to praise somebody who you're actually is not is not not that you're not the center of God's creation after all? God created you, but you're a cast off. Yeah, but the interesting thing about that one is, in a way, I think the I think that all. Go ahead. In a way, I think it all, all the stories kind of uh, use use slightly different vehicles to hit on the same question. Like exhalation seems to me to be about uh, you know how uh, uh, there are there are many responses to to 
the the fact you find the fact of the fact of our own deaths you know individually and of the universe itself how how do we find an answer that that enables you to be comfortable with with that fact uh in exhalation he covers that by i think um approaching the the subject of of entropy you know the scientist in the story uh uh, comes to the conclusion and finds out that you know the universe is winding down and we're not going to live forever N- nobody is going to live forever anything that we've come up with in the past as a comforting idea whether it's a religion or some kind of philosophical com- uh, concept is uh you know it's all just whistling past the graveyard because we're all going to die and the existence itself is going to come to an end and one good thing i think about uh Chang, I don't necessarily agree with him, but he seems to come to a positive conclusion about it. You know, it's it's how do you how do you look into look into the abyss and, and come away with a <laughs> come away with a happy attitude? You know, <laughs> uh, that's what that's what I think that 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 particular story is about. He approaches it different ways um, in the different stories, but it seems to me it's all, it's all about that. It's all about his. His saying, uh, we've all, all dived out of the airplane without a parachute, so you, you know, the only thing you can do is be be happy on the way down. You know, that's <laughs> that's what I got out. Of the, that's well, what I got out of the whole thing. Yeah. Any, um, anybody else think anything about that? Well, well yeah, that's, think- that's the overriding theme. But but in terms of this particular story, Omphalos. Um, Omphalos. Omphalos. Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting thing because she 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 went from everything is your thank you thank you thank you everything like you are my grand light on everything to when to no longer being the center of attention to going okay well then that means that I'm in charge now which was uh, an interesting take like now she has free will whereas before she didn't. So, like, he comes at each right. of them, like, yeah. he explores every, he explores free will from every direction, like, above, below, behind, and, and he finds more every time. Like, every time you read one, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just so beautifully done. And and over so many years, like, these things were published so many, did you said over 17 years? Yeah, I, I think yeah. it was, it's, it's, that's what some, one of the reviewers and on YouTube said that the last collection came out 17 years ago. And I was thinking, no, 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 that can't be right. But I remember the audiobook only came out uh, maybe three years ago uh, from Tantor. Maybe it's five years ago. Um, but for the, when the original paperback came out, audiobooks were not as big as they are. And it took a long time for audiobooks to become sort of the dominant publishing medium for re- actual people who read. Um, um. I read an article, uh, a review, interview with him in uh, The New Yorker, and he said, I just don't get very many ideas. When I get one, I write it down, mm-hmm. but they're few and far between. <laughs> well, yeah, most- I, I, I like his attitude in that respect. Yeah, it's like, too. you know, yeah, what's yeah. what's the rush, man? <laughs> most most reviewers who I, I watched on YouTube who are talking about it. Booktubers? Um, yeah, booktubers. There's a lot of them. Booktubers. Uh, they they do good work. A lot of them. Um, I never even heard of that. It's a big. It, there's a whole world of YouTube. Uh, yeah. That is not the rest of the internet. 
over on uh, Skipping Fifty, we're trying to do a couple booktube things. It's very, very tentative waters, and as you point out, Jesse, there's a whole universe out there. People mm-hmm. have been doing it for years, and it's surprising too because um, I always think you know, book, people who read books are really weird, and you know, they're just unusual people that you know you want to like pick up a book and read it all like every week you want to be reading a new book what a weirdo um there is that but there's also the fact that you know most people won't read uh the genres i'm interested in there they'll read the new york times bestseller or at least buy it and say they read it and then read the title they read the title uh, yeah well or you know but a lot of those books are not designed to be read either they're designed to, you know, you read the introduction, you got the idea, and then you skim it for the chapters and the occasional bits that you need to because they're, they're overwritten. But one of the things I was going to say about the, the booktuber reviewers is some of them were complaining that uh, if there is anything, they all really love the stuff, right? As, you know, any right-thinking person would. <laughs> um, but the, one of the complaints they had was that uh, these should be longer. And the thing is, is... I think that's very presumptuous, and yet I understand the motivation. Um, the motivation it, is I want more of this. I want yeah, to sit want with more. it longer. I want to because he he throws down ideas uh, that are much bigger than the package that he places them in, right? So a story like Exhalation could call for way bigger it could be way bigger it, it, it uh, that's uh, that's interesting that you say that because i found personally uh i liked the shorter stories best uh you know it's uh, not to take anything away from him at all obviously he's uh educated super intelligent and, and handles uh, uh a lot of heavy concepts with very deep thought but I found a lot of like exhalation, like particularly the part that was uh, the scientist guy's uh, uh, rigorous self-examination, where he's you know taking apart his, his brain. Taking his head I, apart. I, I found I found a lot of that to be tedious. It's like you know I get the point, <laughs> and I don't know that I don't know why he went on and on and on and on and on with that section. It was like, good God, you no, know, it's forty-eight minutes that whole story. <laughs> I was fa- I was fascinating. Uh, I know I I, I, f- I felt like oh he's 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 almost got a novel here with life cycle software objects right uh, yeah and I yeah I, almost felt like it was like he was boiling it down from a novel into something short so easily could have been expanded into a novel and I I want him to resist that temptation because I I like having my science fiction this this concentrated. It's like mm-hmm. uh, when I take it off the shelf, I put two drops in, <laughs> in a cup of water, and I'm good for a week. You know, you'd be happy to know he says he's not interested in writing novels. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really glad about that. Uh, before we move on to other stories, um, did you read what uh, what uh, omphalos means? Yeah, did that's why I wanted to talk about. Uh, there is a Wikipedia yeah. entry. It it means navel, right? Um, it means cent. It means center. It means cent. It means navel and center of the earth. Yes. Right. So, 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 so I digression because you'll love it, Justin, because it's a role-playing anecdote. Okay. For years, I've been ro- running a play-by-email role-playing game, and the enemy is called the Ampalos because they think they're the center of the universe. The the enemy is the they? 
it, the, 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 yeah, the, the enemy is called gotcha. the Umbalos because gotcha. they think they're the center of the universe. Well, uh, the, the thing is, is this? Uh, what's funny is you go to the Wikipedia entry for Umbalos, and it has pictures of the stone that's called the Umbalos. And then you scroll down a little more, and there's another the stone. <laughs> it's the Umbalos, right? And the tradition is, oh, you see, everybody basically says we're the center of the universe, which is <laughs> hilarious, right? But even on Earth, and if you think about uh, what the what the Chinese called their kingdom, right? The Middle it, Kingdom, Middle yes. Kingdom, right? And what's what's um, that ocean between uh, uh, that surrounds Italy called? Mediterranean, which means Middle Sea. Middle, uh, yeah, middle, middle of the right. Everywhere is the middle, right? Everywhere is the center, and that's. That's why the story Umphalos is so interesting is because he's dealing with the fact that that everybody's stupid because their vision is so limited. And so we've got a universe which is very nicely set up, I think, in this story where we've got a young Earth uh, that was created, um, but it turns out... oh. A new ob- scientific observation, which has a parallel, you know, in our own history many times, um, that shows that, oh, yeah, y- y- what you thought is wrong, and it causes problems. Um, they have much, <laughs> much... M- I wanted to say, at least at the beginning, I wanted to say they had much more solid be- reason for belief, but I'm not sure that that's even arguable. Um, you know, with them discovering actual mummified humans with no with no navels, right? When they, uh, I think that that's kind of the point he's making, or at least one of the conclusions he's coming to, is that with them, um, Phalos, uh it looks like when we look at our own human history and and what science is doing, it looks like we're obviously not created. Um, but it wasn't so obvious that all the times in the past, mm-hmm. and it's still not so obvious. And if you if you actually point to what he sort of his philosophy, guiding philosophy in his his stories, he seems to I think rightly point out that if there is a, a miracle, it was the miracle of creation of the universe, and that's mm-hmm. it, right? And everything else is predetermined. It's on a, it's on it's on rails, and it's all us trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And <laughs> making lots of mistakes along the path. Um, well, go for you it. You got me thinking about the the, the pre-Adamites here. I, I actually didn't read the story, so mm-hmm. I might just be the making stuff up. But do you guys know about the pre-Adamites? No. no, tell us. So this, I don't quite know when this theory became most popular, but I think it must have been after Columbus. Um, basically, the idea is that there was Adam and Eve, but there were humans created before that. And my understanding is if you read the Bible literally, you have, like, chapter 1 of Genesis, there's the mention that God created people. And then, like, chapter 2 is Adam and Eve, right? So mm-hmm. when the Europeans started to see other people, you know, especially the new people in the Americas, then the answer is, where do these people come from? They don't fit into understanding of creation and, and history, you know, and create, you know, from the Bible. So they started, you know, saying, well, maybe these are these pre-Adamites. Mm-hmm. And, and that became for a while, I think in the early modern period, part of, of how they understood, you know, the diversity of people in the world. 
That, that fits into that uh, other story, right? <laughs> they're all really connected, which is interesting because mm-hmm. they're so different. I'm thinking of the truth of fact, the truth of feeling, which is, uh, I found deeply profound. Um, I just thought like, oh, well, this is kind of a boring topic for a <laughs> story. Um, you know, because I've seen this before. This is a Black Mirror episode or something, right? And then, and yeah. then we get the switch to uh, some colonial guy getting uh, colonized, and and him being taught a character being taught uh, writing and reading, and you know how how sentences. I, I was thinking while I was watching YouTube uh, with a with a uh, auto text uh, generator, you know, so it was it was, it was generating text out of what people are saying and it was generally right when when it came to you know it couldn't do periods which i thought was really interesting but it could separate out all the words and yeah it made mistakes but not very often and that was really impressive and i was thinking well i guess that's the same thing right and it wasn't it true that like uh, am i wrong in thinking paul isn't this how it is if you look at the Roman monuments, they don't have like spaces between their words. Maybe there's a dot. I can't. Yeah, they, they, they use dots, not spaces. Right. That's mm-hmm. And uh, so. Well, really, like pre modern Chinese, also just a, a string of characters. Right. They didn't have uh, like periods yeah. separating the words. Yeah, the reason is expected is because it's gathered from context. Yeah, and if you look at even uh, what, what, what are those. Um, uh, yeah, the the stones from Sumeria. What are those ones called? They're like cuneiform. Yeah, cuneiform. Cuneiform tablets. Cuneiform and and the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs are yeah. They're they're not really good at <laughs> making it easy to see the words separately, and then recording that down and and and. Uh, it, it it's very it's very sort of right in my zone of thinking about what the effect of Brothers Grimm writing down what's uh, concretizing what is a story in progress, right? Mm-hmm. A story that is being passed down and all, all the native stories from around here, um, you know, beca- w- once they go into book form, um, that becomes the reference material. And I was even thinking about how um, when I started at school, I was really bad at it. Um, because I, when I, I tried to do what other students did, which is write down <laughs> what the teacher's saying, um, I would, I would do it and I, it would just go out of my, you know, I'd forget everything. And now I don't take any notes for anything, basically. Really? Yeah. Other than putting stuff on Twitter, right? I don't take notes for anything. Um, and I find I, I'm probably much better at retaining the information, which is exactly what that story is about, right? It's, well, not exactly, mm-hmm. but that's one of the things that's going on in the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. Um, it, it was uh, very but, much like half but, of a Black Mirror episode, right? But Jesse, you think we're, we're kind of going back to like an oral culture? Absolutely. Like before, that's what this before writing is, right? 
before writing, you know, I guess there were lectures where people just copied whatever Plato said or whatever, but you know, those were I'm glad they did essentially oral. Those were essentially oral traditions, right? That were yeah. being shared. That's, and then Socrates was the printing write a thing down. It really wasn't until printing that it was cost effective to, you know, that people got their information from, from books. And maybe that that's just like a blip in history. Maybe, you know, a thousand years. Well, the Romans were actually super into this stuff, right? They they were all about copying and photocopying each other's works yes. and passing and, 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 them and, 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 and yeah, writing books. I mean, there, some 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 Roman scribe points out, yeah, and everybody and he ends his diatribe with, and everyone wants to write a book. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Chinese too. They they wrote things down, but but most people didn't, right? That those were the exceptions, mm-hmm. I think. I, I like this story because it questions the nature of of um, what what is truth and what is reality in terms of like th- when he when they talked about truth as in what is right, truth as mm-hmm. in what actually happened, um, and and then relate that back to the experience of the of uh, the father and Nicole. Um, that was really cool. Uh, I don't want to derail the show for everybody, but. Um this is a sub, you know, what truth is. This is a subject I, I have long had uh, sort of um, deep thoughts about. Uh, back in the day, I would when I started this website uh, with uh, Scott, he and I didn't see truth as being the same thing. He thought it was, mm-hmm. I think, a lot simpler than I I do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's why when I see all the people on on the Twitters complaining about Trump. Um, uh, you know, what I see is, yeah, people don't understand that, you know, yeah, of course he's lying. He's lying all the time. That's all he does. However, he's much more truthful about his lying. <laughs> and more, <laughs> more importantly, he's much more truthful with what he says than uh, most of the people who are in his equivalent position in the past, a.k.a. politicians. And that is why he's popular. He, he, sure, he's not a wise man. But he's perhaps wiser, and this is obviously a controversial opinion, wiser than some of the, the, the fools that have been so smart in the past. And this obviously sounds terrible, right? But the thing is, is he spoke to a lot of people who didn't want to hear the same fucking shit that they've been hearing for 40 fucking 80,000 years, right? He, he, he came in because... He was not the same. That was the main thing that they were really into. And yeah, he had name recognition and all that. But uh, yeah, he, he can't keep a lie from not passing his lips. That's the whole thing. But he's more honest about it in a certain sense because it wasn't all polished and with a hidden uh, motivation. You know exactly what his motivation is. Self-aggrandizement, right? Whereas the others are hiding that. And they're pretending, no, 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 no. Why, <laughs> right? So the the fact that uh, truth is not one thing and having access even to your, your own memory of what reality was and writing and all that, how, how it all fits together... I mean, this is this is why it's so important that science is is around. Is it's replicable, right? That you can check and see that you weren't wrong in the past because you can yeah, check would, it again. And I, and I would I would insert one statement into that uh, uh, that whole diatribe as well by saying, 
truth is that which is. There's objective truth, and then there's subjective opinion, subjective observation from which we draw conclusions. And regardless, uh, you know, uh, regardless of what anyone person in any given situation believes or how they interpret there is an objective truth you know you you may never we have hope. actually been to paris and never actually with your own eyes seen and with your own hands touched the eiffel tower uh but it is there and if you were to say well i've never seen it so you can't prove it i so you know i mean what that is is a subjective conclusion based on what you th- think is not enough evidence and whatever but the objective truth is there is a friggin' Eiffel Tower. It's there, you know, whether you believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? So when you're defining truth, you can't say truth is... I don't think you, you, you can be justified in, in applying any kind of uh, relativistic formula. To, I wasn't, I wasn't to saying it was relativistic truth. at all. It's, it's, it's subtle. Uh, by the way, synonym for diatribe include... Tirade, harangue, <laughs> denunciation, <laughs> fulmination. I thought I thought that that was not I a di- diatribe at all. Actually, I thought it was quite, um, quite. Uh, I don't know, discursive. Well, <laughs> there's so, I mean, Measure. yeah, what you just said about truth, but but that, that there's so very little that you can actually apply that to. Yes, okay, the Eiffel Tower is there, but then what is is it beautiful? Is it tall? Is it small? Is it like everything else? Well, that's a or, or no, no, no. But who who designed it? Okay, it's got a name, right? I would assume that the guy whose name is on it was Eiffel. But I actually Gustav Avo. Yeah, I, I would assume. But maybe he fucking stole that plan. I don't know. What I, what I'm saying is the more the more you don't examine uh, your and be able to re-examine stuff, the more difficulty we have like religious truth is something that people deeply believe and yet uh, that's what that story is uh, that other story uh Umphalos is is sort of all about right is the is you, you have these truths uh, which motivate action but, yeah this is the jamesian idea right yeah james idea so, absolutely pragmatism absolutely <laughs> and there's something uh, there's something power like Nazism is evil because it, not just only because it failed, but it's especially evil because it turned out to be false and that all of this uh, literal holocaust, right, this smoke sacrifice to the gods was meaningless. It was all evil. And the thing is, is if we lived in the man in the high castle world, um, we might not believe the same way. There's a there's a story by Isaac Asimov that actually there's a number of stories that where he intersects that is Ted Chang uh, intersects with um, other science fiction stories, um, at least in theme or idea. Uh, there's a story by Isaac, Isaac Asimov called Living Space, which is a it's set in a universe in which they've invented the device that can. Uh, colonize the earth in other dimensions and most of these dimensions uh, offer worlds that are similar to earth where humans never evolved so you can have you can be king of your own planet and one one of these 
uh, one, it's you know a thousand years or something in the future in the story, and one of the, they eventually come to one of these planets and discover. Uh, the, the guy's complaining because there's earthquakes. Then he, he was promised no earthquakes. It's a real estate story, <laughs> right? Turns mm-hmm. out that um, there was jackhammering going on uh, off the coast of Labrador because somebody's palace was being built from another universe uh, that had been colonizing the same planet. And they look, oops, sorry about that. Well, that was a universe that was uh, a Nazi universe, right? Where the Nazis won World War I, uh, World War Two, And it's so far in the past... That these foundational stories, uh, you know, who Hitler was and all that stuff, it, it, it's like Genghis Khan or anybody. It doesn't matter to that universe. And they're not mad <laughs> that the Nazis won because it was a thousand years ago. They barely even know. That's the kicker of the story. They barely even know who the Nazis are. Yeah, as I recall in the story, they came to figure out when Hitler actually was. Yeah, and, he, and they sort of call him a sort of uh, mythological, mm-hmm. pseudo historical figure. And that that is a kind of truth that is painful uh to think about but the universe does and doesn't care about you right mm. that's a, so I, that's the kind of thing i'm talking about is that you know given enough time um things will change but he's he's getting on something much more he's making a connection with science i think that is really interesting in umphalos right it's it's the religious practitioners are the, the those who are most interested in religion are scientists um and for most of human history that was the case right uh the Isaac Newton fucking nobody was more crazy religious than him yeah, he had whole ideas on angels and alchemy and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and reading the Bible as a kind of code book for yep reality. Yeah, he 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 is the original Bible code person. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think it's if if we dilute if we had these in longer versions, I think that 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 sort of impact might be diluted. Or might have been enhanced. I can't say because I'm not. I'm not a writer of that of that kind. So that's sort of there in exaltation too, where ex- because the exaltation. Sorry, because yeah. these these guys these uh, these people don't die, or very rarely, right? So no one much cared about biology, right? This guy was one of the few. The narrator of that story is one of the there few. There is no biology, biology, right? Yeah, yeah. No. It's all mechanistic. Yeah. <laughs> So it, oh, but that, that's, about your long about yeah, the novel length, he kind of comments on this in the story itself, where he, he he's telling the audience, you know, maybe someday you can study us and oh, write a book about sure. our culture, write our book about our society, because that's a very interesting thing in the early beginning part of the story, which I wish I would have had a little bit more of, was this this culture that built up around these these um, air stations. Right, and it seemed to be a—he seemed to be going somewhere uh, on that, like the social dynamics of of almost like eating, right? How eating becomes a such an important cultural event for for human beings because we all do it, right? And but then he just drops that and goes into the main story. But he, at the end, he says, "Well, if you get this, you can tell the story. You can and, write the novel." And since we're reading, we it, the book. We are yeah. 
the, those explorers. I, I I will point out that those two stories are connected to uh, Clark's story. That's very very Clark is very sim uh, Arthur C. Clark is very similar in his interest in sort of what would appear to be religious matters. Right, his most famous short story is uh, Nine Billion Names of God. Maybe that's maybe that's his. Or, may, or, may, or maybe the star, which is also religious. That's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yes, the star is very close to Omphalos. That's right, mm-hmm. and because w- what we find in Omphalos is, you know, uh, humans are not the center of the universe, um, and and yet we see that as sort of a reversed in the star, right? Yeah. Right, right. This poor alien civilization died, so that we could have, yeah, so we could have, we could have uh, the star of uh, the star of, oh, leading uh, the wise men to uh, Jesus. Yeah, that 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 story always sits me in the feels. Like, oh man, I don't want to like to think about that. If that was really how it would actually come down, it's like, why, God, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, I, I think there's the notion of um, the narcissistic wound. That um, mm. that's the thing that uh, Freud said a, a lot of stuff. But uh, one thing he said that was good was that um, the history uh, of the progress in our thought is um, progressive wounds to our narcissism, thinking that we are some in some way the centre of things. So for him, the first there are three. The, the first narcissistic wound was um, uh, discovering that the um, uh, Earth is not the centre, it turns around the sun. But in Ophelas, uh, that's not a problem. They accept that right. because all the other proofs, uh, proofs show are uh, even stronger to show that we're the centre for God. The second narcissistic wound was um, uh, Darwin and evolution because it shows we're not the um, the centre of um, the biological world. That we're sort of a, a, a contingent a chance thing that got. Uh, built up uh, slowly with lots of mistakes and uh, it seems compatible with the world of Omphalos even if uh, mm-hmm. God created um, the uh, the first men and women and lots of other species um, uh, perfect as they were and the time is short it doesn't seem that that would trouble them in any way if evolution got going after the creation and the the third narcissistic wound, which I think is all over um, uh, uh, Ted Chiang's uh, stories, is um, uh, well Freud links it to the unconscious. Um, that is discovering that the ego that thinks it's free and that it decides on everything that it does and it knows everything about itself is um, uh, an illusion. Um, and even if you don't need the notion of the unconscious, and Freud always said one day um, it will all be explained in terms of um, physical determinism as just sort of a, uh, a long-term temporary concept. Um, that's what happens in um, uh, lots of the stories. That's what, what happens in Omphalos, the narcissistic wound, the, the sense of being the centre is so strong with the the um, archaeological um, uh, proofs 
Um, and then at the end, there's the, the big blow to this narcissistic feeling. And then that leaves open an idea. I don't think it's free will, but an idea of freedom and that everything that uh, she had cared for about knowledge and um, uh, thinking things through deeply um, uh, is um, even um, freer and more intense because there's no sort of final... Um, uh, direction or answer for it all. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, oh, what's that, Wayne? Interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Mm. I. I also, uh, other than seeing Clark, you know, I. Uh, I think we, if we compared him to Olaf Stapleton, uh, the way he casts off science fiction ideas, and then, um, you know in a short amount of space, just throws off a, a bunch of sparky ideas that is like, wow, I could sit with that for a long time, right? Um, and then other people come along and say, yep, I'm going to write a whole book about just this one paragraph from <laughs> from Star Maker or whatever. Yep. Um, I also see a connection to uh, Jorge Luis Borges, especially in Exhalation. Um, well, he, yeah, he 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 does seem to channel Borges. I was also thinking when we were talking about the religious ones. I was thinking of the previous collection in seventy-two letters, which is very Borgesian. Mm. So, how how do you think Exhalation? Well, let me right. read uh, the first paragraph from the Library of Babel, which is uh, one of my favorites by Borges. The universe, which others call the library is composed of an indefinite, perhaps an infinite number of hexagonal galleries with enormous ventilation shafts in the middle encircled by very low railings. From any hexagon, the upper and lower stories are visible, interminably. The distribution of the galleries is invariable. Twenty shelves, five long shelves per side, cover all sides except two. Their height, which is is that of each floor, scarcely exceeds that of an average librarian. One of the free sides gives upon a narrow entranceway, which leads to another gallery identical to the first, and to all the others. To the left and to the right of the entranceway are two miniature rooms. One allows standing room for sleeping, the other the satisfaction of fecal necessities. (laughs) Through this section passes the spiral staircase, which plunges down into the abyss and rises up to the heights in the entranceway... uh, Up to the heights... In the entranceway hangs a mirror, which faithfully duplicates appearances. People are in the habit of inferring from this mirror that the library is not infinite. If it were, if it really were, why this illusory duplication? <coughs> I prefer to dream that the polished surfaces feign and promise infinity. So, this is not our world. First of all, the people sleep standing up. <laughs> uh, second, there's no food. Um, so whatever the fecal, uh, you know, necessities are, um, (laughs) they're more like robots in a certain sense. So one of the things that happens in exhalation is we find out that, that all the argon in their universe, which is their air and also their, their breath of life, right, is coming to them through, through something beneath them, right? I see their, their universe as sort of a, uh, diver's air tank, right? With a curved surface at the top um, and a valve which could lead into another universe above. Beneath them is a similar valve that 
is perhaps a universe below. Um, the problem with this is who who invented the robots? Uh, you know, how are they born? Well, we we can see what they're born like when one of them dies. If it loses access to its argon, its brain blanks itself, right, and it becomes essentially uh, blank slate. Uh, now, may, perhaps they could be built up into uh, human beings again, or whatever those robot equivalent is. Um, but their problem is is they, they've got a, a heat death of the universe of their own, right? It's a sort of an, an analogy for the heat death of the universe of their own. With um, the air pressure increasing, 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 until such time as all robots stop functioning. Um their hope is that somebody will find uh, uh, the narrator's hope is that somebody will find his document and say, we existed. We were real. Um, and he imagines that somebody will break through the floor of the universe above them. <laughs> and so this is a, a self-contained universe in a story in a certain sense. And that is very much a navel-gazing story, right? So I, I see them all as sort of working the same theme um, in a certain way. But I, th- that's the sort of... Th- I mean, he's got other stories like... Um, uh, there's one about uh, Jesus in South America, sort of, that's uh, it's not really Jesus, but as the, the god of dreams space. I don't know. It's really hard. It's hard to explain without getting into it. But, um, yeah, I, I see them sort of similarly uh but he's he's much uh, that is chang's much more focused on science fiction as his universe rather than all literature um this one kind of felt like um in the one about uh the life cycle of software objects where they're where they're mm-hmm. just teaching the 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 ai's you know, over 20 years consciousness mm-hmm. and then we have all the way over to exhalation where now these ai's that have that have been taught consciousness or evolved so much are are self dissecting. Like right. I found those two um, butted against each other really nicely. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's a really good example of a universe that doesn't exist in the same way as our universe, right? A simulated world, um, and yet uh, the transference between them. Um, I, I was thinking a lot uh, about how what could be done in a universe uh like he has in um uh what's the one with the the prism i'm blanking what's it no it's not it's it's right so um there's a there's a, a a movie that came out i think it was 1999 um not any i don't think anybody saw it it's a, a vim vendors movie called until the end of the world um, and it's it's sort of a rambling, shambling movie of set in the future, science fiction movie. It's it's I, I find it really interesting and profound. Um, but one of, one of the things that happens in it is somebody invents a machine that allows you to uh, replay your dreams. Um, and for I don't know twenty minutes of the movie, everybody everybody becomes obsessed with just. They, that all they do is dream all all night and then wake up and watch their dreams and because they're there's so much about them right it's all about what's going on in their own subconscious their own consciousness while they're sleeping 
it's it's like the perfect movie obsessive movie for you made for you and not made for anybody else so i watch your dream it's like yeah that's just weird but for you <laughs> it's it's exact it's 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 so it's like gazing into the mirror endlessly but into who you are and what you care about and what your fears are and and i thought that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom that the the machine there itself allows you to navel gaze at your own life and think about your own choices. I know people who who have real difficulty making decisions uh, because they do have FOMO, fear of missing 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 out. Right? They they will jump ship on uh, plans uh, because they think the grass is greener. Right? What if I made a mistake here? Maybe I would be better off doing this. And I, I thought that that, you know, him coming up with um, a universe to tell stories in with a very simple piece of technology. I mean, not obviously actually simple, but simple idea is that you can just look at these fragmenting kaleidoscopic versions of reality. And if you remember the opening for that one, I think it was, um, it was it was shocking because it was only a few months old, but it was going up in value, right? If you wait t- ten years, it'll be much more valuable. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, what kind of object could this be, <laughs> right? That you can manufacture? Um, well, that is precisely the kind of object. And yet, because it has these uh, diminishing returns, right? People using it for video, like I, I was thinking, all sorts of amazing, sparky thoughts. One of one of them he actually does touch on at some point. Uh, and I was pleased, like, oh, I anticipated that. Was, you know, you could, he's talked about pirated movie version of uh, songs and stuff. If, if I could get um, uh, a bunch of different actors together with a script by a scripter I liked and just buy it from another universe, I'd make so much money, you know? <laughs> Information was what was the only thing that was passable between those universes. And copying material, copyrighted material, is the number one thing. But copyrighted specifically for you, right? That was powerful. Powerful ideas I hadn't seen in science fiction before. What, what do you guys think about that one? Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Well, it has the same, if I do my uh, 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 narcissistic wound, it's the same thing that you see in Predictor, um, you you suddenly have a lot of um, possible use, mm-hmm. and one of the reactions uh, is um, uh, not being paralyzed, not being able to decide, or not caring what you do because will I will I punch him in the face or shoot him in the face? Um, why not? Because uh, in one of the possible uh, worlds, one of me is going to do it. So. Um, why not this one? Why not this one? So it sort of destroys um, your ordinary um, criteria for action. So it's like um, the opposite of um, entropy is information, neg entropy. And when you get a, a high dose of neg entropy or information that you shouldn't usually um, have access to, it can send you crazy in some way or make you uh, dizzy until 
um, either you stay dizzy and paralyzed or you come out with um, a new organization of how you want to live your life. I, I think that you can imagine the school shooters. What what you know how every once in a while there's a somebody goes into a school and shoots shoots everybody. Um, what effect would it have if we suddenly had this technology where where we could look at our own realities and see what I, I, I mean? The thing is, is I I derive personally a lot of solace from the fact that I'm sort of a determinist. Um, and and so the idea of of having this extra information I don't think I'd become obsessed with such a machine um, because I would say yeah it's just air particle blew a certain way on a certain day and uh, you know it's a lot of science fiction about uh, weather prediction and how hard it is but I I, I understand that personally what are you going to say Misa? I was going to say that I I thought one of the premises of this story was that um, that determinism is is what is what makes people go like it, it said like they even brought that up they said well are there more murders now because of this and they right. said no there aren't because people will do what they like yes there will be an outlier because you did something by but there would be fads the, too but, I think he's uh, yeah he but said. generally you're going to do what you're going to do because that's what you've done and if you want to change your life you continue to do this and you evolve and it sounded it's very much like you more of the same um it's just going to happen anyway because of where you were and and it's determined by you know continuing to do the same thing like those are the outliers it's not going to change hey jesse have you read this the larry nibbett story all the myriad ways Mm, i have long time ago though right so that that's the story i kept thinking of when i kept when i was reading the story the whole idea that you can prove that there are parallel universes you can prove you you did something different in another universe. So what does that mean? And and that story kind of kind of actually ties in with the predictor story, not that story. And that you might lose your will to do things because, well, in another universe, you did something completely different, or things run better, or you the predictor went, or, is uh, what's expected of us. That's the right. What expected of us? Thank you. So there, that's that's so, that's sort of paralysis because I remember at the end of all the married ways the. The uh, the narrator gets a gun and, and it shows three possible things like oh he laughs and doesn't use it he shoots and he misses and he shoots and takes takes off the takes it off his head and that's all the same it's it, it's all all boils down to not really mattering because everything because one of those whichever universe you're in that's the universe you're in and it, it it's it's kind of it's very deterministic as you said for your own philosophy and. Mm-hmm. And and then and, and in this one, Vanessa, like it doesn't matter how many different ways you you turn her, she's still gonna end up being, you know, an unstable person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought that that was yeah. really profoundly uh true in a certain way. Um I, I also th- I also thought anxieties the dizziness of freedom would I, I would love to see somebody s- smart <laughs> do a adaptation of it for television or or movie, or for some reason, I think that uh, I was thinking about, about Counterpart. Uh, that, yeah, I was thinking Counterpart. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen that show, but I heard, I heard a bit, uh, a bit about it. I heard it was good. Um, I do. I was thinking a lot about how it's kind of, it's kind of, I mean, obviously not exactly in any way, really. But I, I was thinking a lot about um, a Scanner Darkly. Um, 
mm. with that one because it's got sort of these criminals um, and there's a hidden truth uh, that everybody's participating with uh, in a certain sense. Um, at least in that, the universe is very small, as Evan pointed out on his podcast. Uh, there's like three drug users and three drug dealers in the entire world, it seems like. Um, uh, and, and yet, uh, that sort of crunch, you know, uh, when, when, I'm talking like I'm experienced, when you're on drugs, <laughs> you know, your focus narrows so that you don't see a lot of what's actually going on. You're more seeing what's going on inside rather than what's going on ex- outside. It's very hard to see what's going on outside, right? It's, it, it's sort of our problem. And I think that's a... Wayne, I think a lot of that is what the problem is with truth, right? Is that... Um, and I guess when thinking... Is that... Yeah, that's anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. When the father s- says... Uh, no. What story is that? Where the father is trying to apologize to his daughter is that that's that's the previous truth of fact truth yeah. of feeling ah the truth of fact the truth, yeah these are all blending together um he's trying to apologize to his daughter and she's she's like yeah i'm i'm over you <laughs> i i worked it all out uh, it's nothing really for you to do that nar- yeah. narcissistic wound is still happening <laughs> mm. it's uh, it's, it's really funny because he thought he had done so much work Yes. Yes, and and that you know he was the one being beneficent there, right? Mm-hmm. It's very. Uh, I I sometimes like I'll I'll tweet something and say, oh, that's much too harsh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then nobody cares or or they think it's funny, and and it's all oh, good, oh good, but I it's it holds me back sometimes, right? From because it just especially in real life. Sometimes words resonate very deeply, uh, and you think about them a lot. And of course, the person never even remembers saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that uh, those kinds of um, that's the, the non-simple truth. Yes, there is. Uh, I think deep down, a reality that we are not connected to very well. Right, we're very distantly connected to it, and it, we're connected to it through our senses, and we're connected to it through our perceptions, and our memories, and those are very poor connections. It's not like we're wired into the code, and and then there's all these emergent things that happen, and all the other people who are accessing hopefully the same universe is very tough to know what truth is, and I think he he's kind of exploring a lot like. You guys, uh, I guess, Evan, you didn't read Life Cycle Software Objects. Um, but I, I found that that story, because it, it was a, a much longer meditation, I think that's his longest thing ever. It's like three hours long. It's it's. I think that's the longest thing he's ever written. Um, I, I was thinking, these people are either wasting their lives, <laughs> you know, <laughs> caring about digital pets, or digital children that can be infinitely copied or we're all wasting our lives. (laughs) Um, And I think maybe that's the point, but I I was like, well, yeah, like, uh, why wouldn't you just put them, why wouldn't you just suspend them? Well, because we want this stuff to be meaningful, right? So where's the truth there, Wayne? 
I do not know. And, uh, I'm going to hear your diatribe on this one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I never hesitate to leap into agnosticism because a lot of times I don't have an, enough uh, uh, enough information, and I think that's a, a lot of what uh, what you were saying. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of things uh, that uh, we just can't we just can't know. You know, so um, that's that's where I would agree with you and, and say that um, you know the only way for us to to survive to to relate to reality is to relate to our 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 interpretation of reality, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times um, that's going to be wrong. You know, uh, but we can only do what we can do, and if we're doing it in with the best of intentions, then that's all anybody can ask of us, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. The uh, uh, one thing in that uh, story, what's expected of us, that I mm-hmm. re- really appreciated. He made a reference to this uh, this trope, uh, literary trope, the motif of harmful sensation. Remember that? No. Tell oh, me. yeah, the... The um, the imp of perver- the perverse that right. thing. No, no, the the one one that yeah, like you can have some yeah some, some you could read or hear a joke or oh, right, get right. something that could crash your brain. Yeah, yeah, right. it's uh, um, the way he, the way he defined it is it's a uh, it's an idea of the physical or, or mental damage that you can suffer just by seeing something or just by hearing mm. something and mm-hmm. the point that he took it a step further or understanding something you know it's a, it's kind of the lovecraft thing where i think he if, if, explicitly if you shouts out on you yeah. you know you'll you'll go insane and uh he tied it all together really tight and really cool um with this uh reference to this thing um a disease called uh, akinetic mutism and I looked it up it's a real thing mm-hmm. uh, it's like a waking coma you know it's like the person is will will track you with their eyes if you you know move your finger in front of them but they won't or can't speak mm-hmm. and and they won't or can't move uh, and it's an actual condition that actually happens and he, he tied it into that where um, uh, uh, this motif of harmful sensation, if there was such a thing that could actually happen in reality, uh, I love the way he ties it up at the end, a truly convincing argument, he says, that life is pointless might qualify. Right. So, <laughs> you know, if you could, if a truly convincing argument that, you know, like, what's the use? Life is absolutely pointless. You know, that could send you over the edge. That could, that that could put you into this akinetic mutism, waking coma of, like, uh, what you were saying relative to determinism. Uh, why bother? You know, why? Why do anything? Why try? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only for fear of failure, but also because, you know, it doesn't matter. It's determined, and and that also relates back to his whole thing of free will. And he, all these th- stories are like there's a thread running through them. You know, or, mm-hmm. or more than one thread. It's not necessarily one particular idea all the time, but they're all interrelated mm-hmm. and, uh, in, in a fascinating way. This, this guy, uh, uh, Ted Chang, has got a brain. No he super does. I want to read that yes. paragraph that mentions uh, the Lovecraftian horror. 
Uh, people people started playing with predictors. A kinetic mu- uh, before people started playing with predictors, a kinetic mutism was very rare, a result of damage to the anterior cingulate region of the brain. Now it spreads like a cognitive plague. People used to speculate about the thoughts about a thought that destroys the thinker. Uh, a thought that destroys the thinker. Some unspeakable Lovecraftian horror or a Godel sentence. Godel? Godel. Sentence that crashes the human lo- logical system. It turns out that the disabling thought is one that we've all encountered. The idea that free will doesn't exist. It just wasn't harmful until you believed it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I personally... I do, it's also, it's also <laughs> I do believe it, but I, I also... I think that that it's not harmful <laughs> i think it it's helpful because i can't believe it all the time um and so i i try to act as if uh as if hmm, uh, do i try and act action happens <laughs> well I, I, that, that that's a, that's uh, excellent what you were just getting into uh, i try and act as if uh, mm-hmm. the, the point of this story is um uh, what you there's a guy from the future who has discovered uh, uh that there <laughs> that the determinism absolutely exists there is no free will and life is pointless so he's sending a message back in time to the reader to us uh and his warning message is pretend you have free will. Reality isn't important. What's important is your belief. Right. Uh, <laughs> believing the lie is the only way to avoid, uh, you know, this, this, uh, waking coma. Um, civilization now depends on self-deception. It says perhaps it always has. <laughs> uh, and yeah, then, it, that that, then the very end of it, but the future is determined. This warning will change nothing. <laughs> then, then why did I send it? Because I had no choice. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's sting in the tail. But, and, but then he, he touches the exact same thing with uh, the merchant and the alchemist's gate and, um, and, and has the, the, uh, the you know, a, a whole other conclusion. I mean, it's set. You can't change anything. The past, the future, it's all right there. Um, but... Um, but but living it and 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 appreciating it is is the whole point. So. Exactly. Yep. And that, he made that point in several of these stories. You know, the the very first one, uh, uh, um, exhalation. He says, um, uh, you know, this universe might have um, uh, might have uh, how do you put it? Um, might have slipped into equilibrium with nothing more than a quiet hiss and the fact that it mm. didn't the fact that it spawned life and life that can create art and life that can contemplate itself and its own mean uh, and its own meaning you know that in itself is uh is beauty that's the beauty that's the meaning the fact that um uh, that we exist at all you know and then uh, in the next yeah. model over <laughs> they've got a whole <laughs> set of robots who are finding completely different... That's why I tied into the Library of Babel, right? Is is if you're wandering around in that library, you open up a book, 
and it's just a bunch of gibberish, right? It's all the letter K, and then there's a J somewhere in the middle, and then there's another K at the end. Right? <laughs> um, and then you open the next book, and it's got the complete works of Shakespeare, except for uh, Hamlet, which is, uh, you know, called Schmamlet, right? <laughs> and then you open the next book, and it goes on forever. Well, where's the meaning there? That's uh, that's that's the the terror, right? <laughs> the terror is that yeah. the meaning is fake, and I want to I want to yeah. go back to that Lovecraft thing because this I think uh, also ties into Paul um, Paul's fear and hate of the idea that might be probably true, which is we're never going to you know visit the stars except maybe uh, I, I I say robot descendants I'm good with them they can visit everywhere but as Human species uh, with flesh and blood, it seems unlikely, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Anyways, I want to read this sentence, uh, this opening from a Lovecraft story. The most, uh, because it ties in, right? The most merciful thing in the world is, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, the sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But some day, the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. If you read it not as a horror story, but as a science fiction truth, right? I think that he's he's really. That, that's what Chang's done, right? Is he's taking um, the fact that science teaches us things about reality that don't necessarily make us feel good, but those mm-hmm. those truths, uh, you know, always in refinement, always um, with reference back to the fact that as uh, was uh, David Hume saying, well, that's just how things are right now. <laughs> you never know what it's actually going to... I mean, two days from now, suddenly gravity could reverse itself or whatever. We don't know. We're just basing it on past yep. behavior. Um, so... Uh, there's there's an interview, a uh, long interview with um, Ted Chiang by Robert Wright, and he, he says something explicitly there that I, I think is all everywhere in his stories. He was talking about Arrival... And or the story of your life, mm-hmm. and um, I must admit I didn't much like um, uh, the what's expected of us um, at first. And then I thought he's condensed everything, mm. or oh, well, the main point into a tiny little silly seeming story. And he, when he was talking about arrival, or, or well, he talked about both his story and the film. He said that um, with this language that let you. Um, See, uh, well, see the world as deterministic and also know your future, because he distinguished those two. That, um, uh, the question was, are you going to roll up into a little ball, um, at a recoil in horror and roll into a little ball? That's the sort of akinetic, uh, mutism. Or are you going to affirm it and take pleasure in it in some way, mm. as if it's a, a liberation? And so, uh, if I may add a word um, uh, that he doesn't use, um, the theme that I see in most of his stories is, is the pharmacon, which is Greek for a drug that's both um, a poison and a medicine. 
it's harmful or mm. helpful mm. depending on on the dosage and how you use it. So all these sort of um, uh, uh, cognitive shocks of suddenly understanding something or getting some information that you couldn't get hold of before, it can either reduce you um, to uh, a, a, a mute, a, para, a paralyzed mute, or it can make you creative. So I think there's a, some, lots of the stories are sort of parables about um, um, writing. So even the life of software objects is, mm-hmm. um, he explains there why he took 17 years to, to write his second book. Because it takes all that time, all that care to make um, the stuff. Um, sure. Yeah, he he he, mm. he is deep, and 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 for me personally, I would answer his question. You know, are you going to celebrate it? Are you, you know, or are you going to curl up in a little ball? Well, I'm in a I'm in a little ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the goddamn idea. You know, it's like, uh, life is going to end. Everybody's going to die, and what are you going to do with that information? You're going to make something out of it, or are you going to complain? Oh, I'm going to complain. <laughs> well, I think complaining yeah. is good, but you can create a little too. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Well, you know, well, along the way, it, along the way, some some stuff's going to happen, but uh, that's going to be good and come out of it. I mean, everybody's you know going to have some happiness in their life. And, you know, Get but, some jokes but, in but there. Ultimately, man. I am like you know WTF. <laughs> uh, and that an- that answer hasn't come to me yet. Uh, so I just I th- thought I would say that. I didn't mean to, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm just you know letting you know what my attitude is. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in a little ball. So we're gonna be all we're, one day. We're all gonna be like little specks in in a, a layer of basalt. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll and I make won't be our, any more happy about that. I'll oh, tell you, that. you certainly won't be sad about it. Um, I won't. I know. I, I, I want to. I want to talk a little more about Merchant and Alchemist Gate. Um, what a terrific story that is! I, I remember when I. I think I heard it first on uh, Tony C. Smith's um, Starship Sofa. Starship Sofa, and that story just wow! I I was like, I'm I'm a Ted Chang fan forever now. Um, <laughs> And I couldn't. I can't believe how short it is. For I, it, it felt much bigger. Um, and what, what's the name of it again, Jeff? The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. Oh, okay. Um, so it, it, I, I, I was listening to it this morning, and I finished it off this morning. I was listening to it last night. Um, it's four stories, right? So there's three uh, nested stories, and then there's the narrator's story. Um, so it's it's a. Uh, it's it's, it, it, it's it's very bookended. Arabian Nights, Shazerad in that way. Oh yeah, exactly. And which is is terrific. I love the idea that it's uh, that also ties into uh, Jorge Luis Borges, right? Um, Borges, uh, what's that one called? Um, uh, he's got a story. Slon Ukba. That's not the one I'm thinking no. of, but um, yeah, I can see that one too. It's uh, it's a set just. At the end of World War One, and it's about a Chinese house, and there's a book, a circular book, uh, whatever. Um, in any case, I <laughs> the think Garden of Forking Paths, the Garden of Cor- Forking Paths. There, there that's the one, right? And uh, I think somewhere in there he mentions uh, how, in the center of the Scheherazade stories, the Thousand and One Ra- Arabian, Arabian Night stories, there's a story in which uh, she tells the story of the Arabian Nights. So it's it's like a 
it's internally inter- you can read it forever right um, which is a really cool idea and I think the the idea that you've got a story where it's circular right the the guy at the beginning of the story is telling a guy in the past uh, who's the prince how I came to be here and then he's he's been told three stories right and two of those stories are nested inside each other in a certain way and then there's a at this probably exact middle I, this is a very um Jorge Luis Borges thing to do right is in the exact middle middle have a uh, point around which everything swirls right um in any case uh that point might be in Merchants and the Alchemist Gate um the knowledge of where the treasure <laughs> under the tree came from, right? Uh, there was a, a tree. If you go to a certain place in the tree, there's going to be a rock. Uh, under that rock is a box of treasure, right? <laughs> and the the guy, he comes back and says, how did you know uh, there would be a treasure there? And he says, well, I knew because you told me. <laughs> 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 and that comes from God, right? Well... Who who told him? Oh, that was Ted Chang. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, so that that beautiful nesting and beautiful um, circular storytelling with everything super symmetrical, brilliant, wonderful, um, and yet absolutely. Uh, I also love the idea. This is a, a something so cool, Paul. I I think you will agree with me. This is a time travel story in which nobody goes to the a future or a past that matters technologically, right? There's no technological difference in the 20-year gap between yep. Cairo and Baghdad. There's still caravans. You know, you can't put all your money on the stock market. Right? There's yeah, no yeah. stock market. There's I, no I, traditional I, science fiction time travel tropes that you use to, you know, predict when the sun is going to go into a... Uh, red, yeah, red, red giant or anything like no, that. No, I was mm. thinking... Um, uh, what's the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court? Where he, oh yeah, the eclipse. Yeah, he, has, he predicts the eclipse, right? And that has like, there's no way for it to benefit you, really. Well, um, well, the one character tries, and it just he just gets frustrated. Right. And he steals from himself, right? Yeah, which is yeah. hilarious. He doesn't even realize. That. Uh, and, he predicts uh, the albino baby, and he gets out of prison. And it, <laughs> it's also that Guy de Maupassant story um, that's so wonderful. Um, uh, where a woman borrows, it's called the diamond ring, I think, oh, diamond necklace, or the necklace. Uh, a woman borrows a necklace from uh, her her rich friend, uh, loses it at a dance, um, and because she's so prideful, uh, she takes all the money she can gather together and rebuys uh, an identical diamond necklace to give back to her friend when she's lost it, and then spends the next 20 years of her life in debt uh, and scrubbing floors and ruining her health and all sorts of terrible things to repay all these loans she required to get you know this beautiful necklace to make her pretty on that one night and then she sees her friend in the street that 20 years later and says to her oh I couldn't tell you at the time but I lost your necklace all those 20 years ago and she's the necklace you borrowed from me? He says, yes, yes, that one. He says, oh, that was just paste. <laughs> <laughs> no! 
there's the, the pit of despair. I tried to that one. That's the pit of despair, right? And so that uh, Merchant and Alchemist game, it, it, it says yes, there's no benefit in that thing. But the thing is, is the story itself is a, is the benefit, right? The story is the treasure. The story is the treasure, right? Yeah, exactly, Paul. Um, and we get the benefit of uh, we as the prince in this case, right? Uh, or it's not a prince, mate. It's a sultan or king. Uh, you get the benefit, and in this story, of exhalation, we get the benefit. Right? Yeah, That's why the title's exhalation stories, because the exhalation, uh, the divine exhalation, has produced lots of stories, ten nice. chan stories. Nice. Yeah. Okay, we have not talked about uh, the Great Silence, really, or Daisy's Patent Automatic Nanny. Um, I, I think one of those two is probably the worst story in here, and neither of them is terrible. So, um, it's uh, it'd be hard to figure out which one's the best. I really, really like Exhalation. I love Merchant and Alchemist Gate. I think Life or of Softer Objects is wonderful. Truth of Fact and Truth of Feeling is super... Super powerful. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom is amazing. Jean Paul Sartre with possible worlds. Jean Paul Sartre with possible worlds. There you go. Um, hmm. So, what do you guys think of Daisy's patent automatic nanny? Well, you started talking about child rearing. We haven't really come back to that that theme, that that question at all. Hmm. I mean. When you guys were talking about truth before, I was thinking a little bit about this story because that's a good example of, of where there's not really a, a right answer, right? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's throughout culture, throughout human history, there's been so many different ways of, of raising children or forming families. And, you know, it's, we're back to this kind of William James idea that it's just, it's just whatever sort of works is, is true in those cases, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, polyamory works. For some people, monogamy is best, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, now, what I really liked about this story is you got this objective kind of encyclopedia entry kind of narrative here, um, but it's telling the story of the suppression of this of this technology essentially, in part largely because of the ruling class didn't like right. mass technology. I thought that was a really interesting theme in that, and of the the ones I looked at, this was the only one that really talked about class in any way. That's true. So I was I gravitated towards it that way, but. I'm not convinced that this this child, what you know, there's like a new form of consciousness seemingly created from mm-hmm. this this way of raising the children. A kinetic mutism is in there too, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's and of course, since this technology is sort of suppressed, we, there's really nowhere for that to go. It's just presented as a, a failed experiment almost. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there, there it's about children. Creative about this um, and. Uh, maybe even a remaking of humanity, which I found kind of fascinating. But I, I've been thinking a lot about child-rearing myself yeah, recently. As one, as one <laughs> is child-rearing, one does that, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a... And I, 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 I feel like this is, this is um, a connection that is... It feels like it doesn't show up in mimetic fiction. I, I don't read a lot of mimetic fiction, I'll be honest. Maybe I'm wrong about it, but... It seems to be all about divorces. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, it, I think it, it, it is too navel gazing. It's all, yeah, it's all about uh, my experience with my marriage, basically. Um, and and one of the things is that 
in Daisy's patent automatic nanny that says different parents have oh no it's it's got to be in a different story different parents have different uh, sort of levels of interest in their own child's rearing that um, was this one what was that yeah okay. it's a bit in here too because I, again part of this was kind of uh, there's a class dimension to this, right? Because the rich could have governesses right. and tutors and, and nannies and all that stuff. But the this technology would have benefited the working class who, you know, they're overworked. They they actually could use this. And I, I think that story even mentions something like a washing machine. Right. Right. The washing machine is, of course, very liberatory for for working class people. But if so, you're part of the so ruling class, the it's, it's a useless taking, technology. Taking the television is the babysitter, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, that's or, what the people said. Or smartphones now. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. And iPads. You know, if you want if you want to make your kid shut up, just give them a, an iPad or an, <laughs> an iTouch or an I, I, your old <laughs> iPhone and they'll shut up because they'll be busy playing. And is that wrong? Yeah. Another thing is. about this story that uh, that I found that uh, it, I'm starting to recognize it as a typical uh, Ted Chang thing is uh, seems to me he got the idea. Uh, he might even have mentioned this in the author's note afterward. But uh, there's an actual uh, syndrome called uh, psychosocial dwarfism, mm-hmm. where where if the child, uh, like in the story here, uh, the idea the the whole denouement of it was it, it it didn't really turn out all that great because they they ended up dependent upon the the nannies and they were unresponsible to uh, unresponsive to you know their parents or or other human contact so you know there therein lies the bad news uh but but that's based on an actual thing um uh, if uh, if kids um are in an extreme emotional uh, state, uh, extreme emotional uh, deprivation or some kind of stress, they could get this uh, they, they actual growth hormone and, and hormones that, uh, that give you, the, you physical maturity actually stop operating. Mm-hmm. So they end up, you know, short and, you know, displaying for all intents and purposes, uh, like malnutrition. But what it actually is, it's, it's, it's emotional malnutrition. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of connects to the point you were making before about, you know, the different levels of interest in your kids and turning them over to the TV or turning them over to the iPad or, or turning them over to the nanny. You know, they're going to get so dependent on that that, uh, once again, that's, uh, you know, it's a, that's not, not an ideal, not an ideal human state for no. yeah, us. It's, it's, yeah. You have to do it a little. It still strikes me as really uh, bougie to to <laughs> criticize, you know, working class and poor families for making these choices. You know, when it's like homeschooling, like maybe that's the best educational environment for kids or unschooling or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of families can't do that. Both parents are working, or they can't afford to send their kid to the the, the special school, or they're going to get all the attention they need. They have to go to the public school system, and yeah, I I, I found the class dimension if you really yeah cut right to the heart of it. It's it's a survival strategy for for a lot of families to to use technology or to use some mass means. I, you know, the school must be a metaphor for public schooling, actually. Mm. Is this the one that ended with uh, the ref- uh, the reference Chang talking about uh, the electric ant? 
uh, by no, Philip K. Dick? Um, no, that's the exhalation, isn't it? Because is that, um, he okay. operates on his own brain the way the electric, right. the electric okay. and he, he yeah. edits his... Um, it's, it it could apply to so many of them. No, that's uh, that's I guess why I, I didn't remember which one which one it was. But um, Daisy's patent automatic nanny also makes me think of another Dick story that uh, Evan I know you've read uh, called Nanny, uh, which is yeah. about uh, <laughs> uh, what's it's not what, what kind of horrible. Well, that that story has two things going on. One is not really relevant to this one so much, this story so much, and that's the the. The planned obsolescence right. angle, the consumer angle, but there is the aloof parents who kind of pass over to the nanny all the all the child rearing. But in that case, it's not because they they work. It seems they just do their own thing while the nanny takes care of the kid. But it's, uh, it's again, not, it's not like the way that. I was going with it before as a survival strategy. Yeah, but yeah. But it, I like I like still the... that idea that the kids got more attached to the nanny than to the the parents. This, of course, would horrify Philip K. Dick, but <laughs> but also I, the I'm fact. Well, that the the nannies when they're out in the backyard fighting each other, <laughs> late yeah, at night, yeah. the kids will know about it because the, <laughs> and they're stressing out about the you know gladiatorial nannies, um, and I guess we're supposed <laughs> we're supposed we're supposed to be horrified at the idea that what if what if those those nannies um, accidentally trigger while they're raising the kids right, um, and of course that's the real horror that we have for just regular people too right if you if you really if, if you follow uh, the police state logic and police uh state thinking to the logical extent you have to have everybody in handcuffs all the time because hands are dangerous weapons and their mouths could incite riots and you know, so you have to tape their mouths up and basically you have to kill everybody to you know to secure and not be safe um uh, so yeah, you've got a nanny. She's raising your kid. What if she's she's super religious and you're not? Well, her she's going to mm-hmm. influence your kid. Well, uh, the, the story starts that way, right? That yeah, uh, the the original problem was that these nannies weren't trustworthy. So this guy That's invents right. the the rational childcare device. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, I think it's it's a more cutesy vignette than the other ones but it's still really deep and a good yeah. science fiction story even though yeah it's uh, okay that's the other thing is um i was thinking is uh, i wrote something about how what a good science fiction writer he was on twitter this week i think Mysa, you saw it i did um and i agreed but then i was thinking i don't think it is really uh, uh, deeply down what he's he's actually more interested in epistemology he's a full he's a Natural. I think it's even in one of the stories. Natural science, rather than um, it, which is philosophy, really what we call philosophy yeah. today. What they used to call natural science. He's more of a philosophical science fiction writer than he is a straight up science fiction writer. Because oh, oh, definitely. He he's he's asking and posing, and not always answering the big questions about fate, destiny, free will. You can't have a story like. Um, uh, like uh, exhalation in a universe that we can explain, and you can't have a, a story like um, uh, the uh, Umphalos in us in in our universe, right? It's not, so these are um, they're parallel universes, but the 
ultimately that's what science is about right is 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 asking questions how do we know this and it's sort of collecting and systematizing in it and yet when you look at the history of science what you find is a whole lot of guys in rooms saying no no your theory's wrong because we know better and then later on arguing uh with each other and those guys dying eventually somebody says you know what those that guy that we didn't like he, he was right. <laughs> yeah, now you're channeling the yeah the structure of scientific revolutions. Which yes, has issues with that thesis, but there's there's a great frame of truth that well, it does take I th- it does take people who the historical aren't... things that he cites are very obviously like well th- th- they seem to be what he says they are right. So even if okay. even if you have some problems with the. I, I think falsification is is the key, right? So people people talk about they do it all day long. They talk about proving things, and and that's really what it, a lot of truth is about, right? What arguments of truth come down to is is I can prove this is true, right? Weapons of mass destruction do exist. Look, I've got this little vial. Let me shake it in front of you and tell you in a stern voice that I'm 100 percent confident that 17. Uh, you know, intelligence agencies tell me that this definitely happened for sure. Uh, yeah, you're proving it, but uh, science and reality are not math proofs, and those are not good proofs anyways. Um, what we actually do is we look for how can we falsify this, and then when we check it and we look at it, that's actually, I think, a much better way of doing, uh, or thinking about how science is, is done, rather than, uh, you know... We're going to prove that Einstein was right. His whole thing was, I, I think this will show that I'm right. Um, and then they do, uh, well, the experiment happens. And I say, holy shit, he was right. That's why he's so famous, right? Is that he, doing doing all this, I don't know. Well, that, that's what these are. They're thought experiments, yeah. all of these stories. Yeah, and, and, and he's thinking them through completely rather than mm-hmm. here's a technology and we're setting it on a spaceship and these people are going to use this to d- blow up that planet. and like, That sounds like regular more science fiction, I guess. Right. He's, he's not taking like, I'll, I'm going to have this technology and explore the ramifications. Like I'm going to explore a philosophical point, as you're saying, a natural philosopher. And, yeah. I, and generally he needs a scientist. A science fiction premise in order to make that work because you can't really do that very well with memetic fiction. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, like mm-hmm. the nanny story is what happens if I put the, the children in in a with a with a nanny and like a, a robot instead of a person. What happens if I take twenty years to bring up a, an artificial life forms? What ha- like that's what they're all. That's what they all are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Are you going to say something? Wayne? No, just that um, he and he's got that in his background. I mean, that's part of his uh, professional expertise is uh, artificial intelligence. True. I I know that he's a technical writer. Uh, I yeah. I always thought he wrote like manuals for for software. That's what I thought too. <laughs> um, but okay. I, I'm not I could super be making that up. So uh, well, obviously, you know, this guy's definitely thinking thoughts and and reading things and. I mean, he says, you know, all those after author afterwards. Um, I think, I think they offer insight into what he's doing. But it's um, it's super clear to me that he is he's crafting these. So I don't find I don't think there was anything like 
you're talking about what you didn't like in Exhalation. To me, that was awesome. That that I'm taking my head apart scene, which isn't mm-hmm. even that much of the story. I can't I can't imagine it's 20 minutes. I can't I can't imagine it's 10 minutes actually. It, it may. I think the the point of that was, um, it was almost like a reverse info dump, if, if you know what I mean. He's he's instead mm-hmm. of instead of saying this is what I did, he's saying this is what I'm doing, and this is how I'm, yeah. this is what it looks like. And holy fuck, <laughs> except he's and a robot. One, one of the interesting things is um, in the interview. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube with Robert, right? He says he's never liked um, uh, a thing that I've never liked either. When you say we can't understand uh, ourselves, you can't um, uh, look, and people give uh, arguments sort of like um, like proverbs. Um, you can't look uh, uh, your own eyes um, mm. uh, directly uh, in your line of sight. You need a mirror. And these sorts of arguments are sort of put forward to to limit um, what you can do or what you can understand, uh, what science could do even. And there is a a, a direct um, example of um, refusing that limit. He, the the robot in the story, can understand his own thought process. There's no Godelian impossibility of self-reference in it. So it's all um, open to investigation. He, he does something completely different with it than than Dick does in in the um, the electric ant, right? What Dick does is he says, "I'm going to change my reality by you know if I cover up these strips <laughs> and I punch new holes in my punch tape, the reality will change." And this is almost like a drug metaphor, but also. A, met- a metaphor for our own perception of reality and how things are. I, I I talk about it quite a bit on this podcast. I know somebody who's schizophrenic, and the thing is, is the thoughts he's having and the thoughts he's he's expressing are not the reality that is reflected in the world I see. But try and convince him of that. Good luck. Right. It, it just it, 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 if you want to get into a big fight, that's that's a said. T- tell me that my hand is not my hand, okay? I'm I'm flexing it right now. For me, that's what's real. Um, and the thing is, is when when you um, when you lose memory, uh, you know when you uh, isn't one of these stories has a. Um, we can't remember what which story is it that it's about um, people saying that they have memories of being babies. I don't know. One of these stories has. It's like it's the, it's the one about the dad and Nicole, because because those babies had video uh, right. throughout their whole lives. Uh, which is anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, right? Yeah. yeah. No, the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. <laughs> They're all blending together. Ah. Uh, my memory is going uh, just like yeah. uh, Hal. <laughs> Um, I'll be singing at the end of this podcast. But that's the difference with Dick and with the Black Mirror um, uh, episode that you mentioned. Um, uh, Ted Chiang doesn't have this paranoia aspect. In in the Black Mirror episode, they have um, video uh, logs. Right. But they can can edit out and um, delete um, stuff. And it becomes obsessive as well. Yes. 
It's inter- it's interesting um how I mean it is these are all certainly adjacent to technology. I I guess Emphalos is the the technology there is the the guy measuring the ether, right? Um mm-hmm. and that it, I guess the equivalent is our telescopes um and and such. But it, I think they are much more about how do we know what we know, and when we do have reason to think what those things are are true. Um, I guess that's why I, I think that um, the the shortest story, uh, the Great Silence, is it's more of a joke, even though it, it's quite profound, and I think some people were moved to tears by it. That that's not the shortest story. Is it, it's not. <laughs> Exhalation, I guess, the shortest. No, no. Great no, silence shortest. is six minutes long. What's expected of us? Yeah, oh, what's expected, expected of us, us is the shortest yeah. one. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, the great silence is the parrot. The parrot. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, which parents. is also an art installation. Did you watch that uh, video? I did. So it's Arecibo and uh, parrots. <laughs> and it talks about Alex, um, the uh, the talking parrot, who I was. That's, a, that's another thing. Alex Alex was a real was a real parrot. Yes, and yeah. you can see the videos on YouTube, and and I, I was obsessed with this bird. My mom has an African gray parrot, and is not nearly as expressive as. I mean, I, I've met. I've I used to have an African gray parrot myself. They they are. They are like three-year-olds. They're very emotional. Um, they become very bonded to individuals. They are aggressive to people who are not those individuals. Um, and they're super smart in some ways. And yet they only, you know, their beak is kind of their hand. And they're really good at imitating. But they also, they have emotional realities but they also can express those sometimes and do all sorts of things. As you, If you watch those Alex videos, which I've watched tons of, um, and I wish there was more better ones because the, they seem to ask and show the same things over and over in every interview. But um, it's, a, it's a whole other mind that we're having access to through regular English, which mm-hmm. is really strange. I love yeah, this. It was, story. it was pretty pretty cool. The point of the point of the story being, uh, you know, uh, uh, all these humans are are you know looking for uh, intelligence in the universe and search for extraterrestrial intelligence. How about the search for terrestrial intelligence? You know, they <laughs> it's like that. that that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole point. You know, you're you're overlooking. You're overlooking a whole race of creatures with whom you could communicate that uh, you know uh, that you're not pursuing. You know, it, it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. It was it, it was funny in that he made that joke, the search for terrestrial intelligence. But right. it, it was also, as you mentioned, it was also kind of heartbreaking. You know, the the uh, um, the whole. Especially the reference to the whole Alex thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Last thing, last thing he said before he died was. So long, and thanks for the fish. That, that's uh, the person yes, who was not is. yet referenced, <laughs> right? Is but, Doug, um, Douglas? That's his Douglas Adams story. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, did you notice in this story? It, it says when when Arecibo's not listening to anything, it hears the voice of creation back mm. to the exhalation. It, it it returns back to the to the first story. Yeah. The, uh, the titular story. 
Yeah, yeah. The lasting breath. Like, they're, they're just so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, there, there is a, uh, a whole thing you can get into with um, spirit being the breath of God. Yeah, right? yeah. There's tons of that. And and then, and then you go back to that uh, exhalation story and you find, um, he says, but see, the... Uh, the breath is not me. <laughs> He's having it both ways. Um, the robot keeps insisting, you know, yeah, you might be breathing the same argon as I am, uh, but that is no no more me than, right? And yet, are these the copper plates that we're reading inscribed upon? Are they? And uh, uh, the other thing is, is, I think there's something in there about it being audio versus text. One of these stories. And uh, of course, we're listening to the audiobook version, and most for the most part, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's this is the kind of one where I can go back and listen to the robots, not the robots in the Alchemist Gate, the Al- Merchant in the Alchemist Gate again uh, in another five years, and be really into it totally again because absolutely. It's so, and I, I don't yeah. really do overall. That. Yeah. yeah, overall. Uh- Personally, I would definitely I would definitely recommend uh, the book, the audio book, to, to to anybody who who hasn't heard or hasn't been familiar with Chang yet. It's uh, it's uh, it's challenging stuff, and and it's really smart. And uh, the one guy, I don't know if he, he probably did this in the print version too, but in the audio book, uh, after each story, there is you know anywhere from a minute to two minutes of him going, uh, you know, here's where I got the idea, which I, I thought, yeah. I thought I thought it was great, and that's, that's, that's Ted in the Chang's voice. Too. Yeah. I I was wondering where because it said he narrated, and I'm like I'm going through all the stories, none of them were him. Well, it's at the end of every story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I recommended this to to everybody too, and I said not as a science fiction collection, as a collection, mm. just read it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it. It's funny that we've got. We've got this book that we can hand off to people and say, uh, "This is really good. Read it." Um, I this is the kind of stuff where I, I I feel like one of the reasons I guess I don't like reading a lot of stuff is because uh, I feel like I'm stupid because I'm reading something that's stupid. <laughs> so the thoughts that are on the page or in the, in my ear are not smart enough thoughts. Whereas this one, this 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 reading this makes me feel like the genius that I am, right? <laughs> when I read um, Olaf Stapleton, I'm like, yes, of course, brilliant. Right? <laughs> I read Dead Chang or um, uh, Jorge Luis Borges. I'm sophisticated. Right? <laughs> but when I read something that's just passable entertainment, I'm like, God, my life sucks. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I'm now just not having brilliant ideas all day long. If you read this, you, you feel like, oh, I'm I'm smart enough for this material, you know. It makes you feel smart, and it's because you're. It, I think that that's really what. I mean, that's what's going on in that story. Um, uh, the truth of fact, the truth of feeling, is you've got uh, a guy practicing his words right for his sermon, and then the guy saying, "What? I, I notice all these papers coming in." But, they're never going out. You're saving them for posterity because people. No, I'm thinking aloud, right? Or I, I guess thinking on paper. And this is a therapy people recommend, right? Writing therapy. So you write down yep. the things yep. that are wrong 
uh, and figure, see them on paper, concretize them, and sort of cast them out of you. Yeah. That story says that all we are is stories. I mean, it, I don't know if that's how he starts it, but he says people are made of stories. Mm. Yeah. So. I'm glad we have these. Well, that's uh, about all the time we have. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you everybody. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Mm-hmm. I just started listening to the audio book, and I've gotten through like part one. And there seem to be a number of this, the different stories in part one so far that don't resolve, and I don't know how they connect. So maybe you I don't can know if they explain ever... it to me somewhere down the road. Well, part two is all one story um, that kind of ties together some of them. I I don't think his intention is to tell a single story. I think his story is to just comment on this neighborhood and its history and and all that so you got to kind of look at it that way i think okay um we got everybody um i just wanted to let you all know marissa is not going to join us um i can't remember her excuse but uh, i gave her permission to not join us since she's telling me (laughs) rather than asking me as well so (laughs) you gave her permission that's really i I almost didn't make it too i was with with alan moore all day and I, I finally got to read these uh, three of these stories Excellent. in the last few hours. Well, I have uh, about two hours before my student comes, and it'll probably take us two hours to uh, get through all these stories. Yeah, and i got to leave at noon. I have gaming today, so we should probably get going shortly. All right, so I've got my recorder going. I'm just going to try and... Glad Julie's not here, so I don't have to fight with her for ten minutes about who who goes in what position. Um, so you just listen to my dictates. I'm not much much of a dictator, but this is just the get the shit done part of the show, okay? Okay, so Jesse Paul. Uh, oh, this is easy. Misa uh, Evan Wayne. Okay? And Terrence. Oh, what? fuck, Terrence. Yeah. All right. Okay, Terrence is not on the chart. That's why I, I forgot about Terrence. I, I was like just making sure I didn't forget anybody. And Okay, and, I'm, and Terrence is last, okay? That's the privileged position, Terrence. So who, who, do, who do I... You're right after... Who do I come after? Evan. So Jesse, Paul, Misa, okay. Evan, Wayne, Terrence. Yep, that sounds right. All right. Oh, I'm going to get my... Uh, turn my... That reminds me to put my phone into sleepy mode. <clears throat> yep, there it is. And I'm also going to get the Wikipedia entry out because I'll fucking forget everything. Media. What's this shit, book called? Oh, shit. Exhalation stories. stories. There we go. There we go. Oh, it, you're right. It's, it's not. not it's not exhalation and other stories. Yeah, it's right. just exhalation stories. All right. Here we go. Wait. What the hell was that? It sounded like I don't know a vibrating phone. Whatever. We'll get going. Here we go. <laughs>